0: Hello everyone and welcome to Brontide. Today we are going to be discussing seasons. This is going to be a fun one.
1: It is fun. Joel, this was your idea, so will you kick us off? Like what what made seasons an interesting idea to talk about today?
2: Well, next week is winter solstice in the northern hemisphere and I think that as we come to the end of the year, the calendar year, Many of us are taking this time as, you know, a moment for reflection and thinking about the upcoming year. And it just got me thinking about seasons and seasons, you know, delineating endings and beginnings and uh, stops and starts, uh, as well as just our connection to others and the world around us and kind of the rhythms and tempo of life in general. And so I think it would be fun to unpack some of that. I think that uh, you know in our world today that's so driven by the clock and our notion of time, um, I read this article a couple of weeks ago um, by a writer named Joe Zadea, Zida. I don't know how, if I'm pronouncing that, apologies Joe if I'm pronouncing your, your name wrong uh, on, a, on a we'll include this link in the show notes, but he essentially' is telling this story about our relationship to the clock. And one of the the, the big ideas here is that the clock doesn't measure time, it produces time. And it's actually really skewed our relationship to the patterns of life that we historically have lived for millennia, right, as humans. And so there's all of this kind of a swell of, of agreement on the part of philosophers and social scientists and other authors and artists who for various reasons are essentially arguing that we need to really urgently reassess our relationship with the clock. Um, And there's this quote in his article that says coordinated time is a mathematical construct, not the measure of a specific phenomenon. Mm. And so as I'm thinking about seasons, I'm thinking about a reconnection to the actual tempo of the world and, and, and our solar system and our place in the universe and not just you know, this relationship that we have to this arbitrary invention called the clock. But historically, humans have always used solstice as an opportunity to, you know, reevaluate and change the relationship to the earth, whether through agriculture, livestock, etc. Often, this is a time when, in many places around the globe, uh, the earth is covered in snow, right? So even the landscape changes and looks different. Uh, Many cultures across uh, the world throughout history, winter solstice has been the rebirth of the sun god, right? So there's a a spiritual, metaphysical kind of uh, connection that we have here. So there's a lot of different directions and things that we could explore. But I think the concept of seasons is interesting as a framework for reflection and thinking about uh, our place in the world. And, and what it is that we're doing. So do you two have any rituals that you celebrate for solstice or for thinking about, you know, transitions and moving from one season to another? We actually just created one.
1: Yeah. So I, I love that serendipitously you brought this up because um I have been in a increasingly non-attached relationship to christmas and the celebration of christmas Mm
2: -hmm. yeah
1: and i'm not going to go into all the details and all the backstory but trace and i are in our like second holiday season together i'm like how fun would it be to just come up with totally new rituals not Mm -hmm. saying we we won't maybe have a tree or we won't do any presents on christmas or anything but whatever that is that can just be like what our families want or whatever but like what if we come up with our own thing and it felt like well why not come with up with it for our the holiday this time of year that would feel most aligned to where we're at in life which is totally the solstice and so so far we've got uh, a dear friend of ours and my mom coming over next wednesday that first annual trace and tina solstice isn't going to be like the end all be all it's the start of things so we're going to do a burning ritual and everybody Mm. is aware of this in advance. So they're willingly participating, but we're going to do some writing around what do we need to let go of from this last year? What do we need to let go of in general? Who do we need to let go of? Like if we're conditionally loving somebody, let's let go of those energies so that we can learn how to unconditionally love them. Like whatever it is that we're needing to let go of and burn it safely in the backyard And then, um, you know, however the rest of the night unfolds, whether or not anyone chooses to share what they're burning or not is up to them. But really just honoring the release that it feels like um, this time of year really invites because the darkness and the turning in the yin energy that's been increasing since the summer solstice, right, more darkness since the summer solstice inviting us to go in. This is kind of like the height of the inness, before the outness starts to reappear on December 22nd and grow right. all the way until the summer solstice, at least yeah. on this side of the world.
0: Yeah. So I grew up in Michigan for the first 13 years of my life. And, and in Michigan, it's really interesting because life feels really dictated by the seasons because it's mm. such extreme winter right. that you're inside for. And then spring is so exciting and then summer is like even more exciting and everyone, everyone's out. And then you have fall and then you kind of have preparation for winter. So it's like life and the kind of rhythm of life is really dictated by the season change. And then I moved to Southern California where it was like the exact opposite, where it's like, you don't even really notice that much of seasons change. I mean, you notice like maybe right. 10 or 20 degree difference. And it was really interesting because it, I, I appreciated not having to put up with the extreme winters but it actually felt like something was kind of missing of like, it felt like I wasn't able to actually kind of mark time as well. And it felt like time actually existed as this more just kind of like amorphous kind of like, yeah, this kind of had this amorphous feeling where I couldn't really place Uh, events and time as well. Uh, And now I live in Northern California and I feel like Northern California is like the best of both worlds of the winters here aren't so extreme that it's actually kind of painful to have to get through. But the the season change is noticeable enough that it's felt like it gives, gives me that season change, which just gives me a little bit of kind of structure and ability to mark time so it's very interesting when i when i reflect on the places i've lived and how michigan was like too too much too too extreme yeah goldilocks too extreme Mm -hmm. and then like that southern california climate there wasn't enough of it but then like northern california hit that kind of goldilocks zone um so yeah having this being able to live in an environment like this and have that feeling of the seasons changing and have these uh, There's like this winter solstice ceremony that we were talking about. Uh, something I'm really grateful for. And it's something really interesting when I reflected on this topic.
2: Yeah, that's so cool. I love that you're doing that. I mean, I, that makes me want to do that. Uh, yeah, join that us! At my parents' house. I might ask my dad to start a fire in the backyard um, <laughs> when we're down there for Christmas. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so interesting how seasons, as I'm listening to you, Trace, tell that story there's a pattern and it makes me think about patterns are essentially structures that allow us to categorize different phenomenon and, and meaning, right? Mm. So it creates buckets for us to drop things in. And when those patterns or the seasons don't exist, we lack the buckets and we lack the ability to ascribe meaning. So there's, there's, a, there's a richness in a very existential way to our connection to seasons. I think that, we've lost in modern technological clock-driven life. Um, I mean, for example, uh, a a colleague of mine was telling me the other day how she's going to go do this hibernation retreat. And I was like, hibernation retreat? That sounds cool. Uh, And apparently, she's just going to go away for four days or something like that. I'm trying to recall the, the exact specifics. But essentially, she turns off her technology and just has time alone. And it's just kind oh. of this decompression out in a cabin, you're in nature and you get to untether yourself from the, uh, you know, the the demands and the expectations of emails and text messages and direct messages and social media and all the things that vie for our attention and just practice presence
0: mm-hmm. and
2: come back to self and do it, in a way that you're cultivating comfort right this idea i love the idea around um that that kind of the pause for like homemaking like you think about animal hibernation right like they they eat a ton of food uh they get fat they get comfortable they they stuff their den or their nests with with comfortable stuff and they like go to sleep (laughs) it's like that sounds amazing right um That we need that we need that kind of like I'm gonna get quiet I'm gonna get small I'm gonna get comfortable I'm gonna just eat and I'm gonna sleep and I'm gonna nourish and um, and so taking that that moment of hibernation again is something that I don't think we we've lost sight of Um, so when you're thinking about this uh, and you're thinking about opportunities to be more aware of seasons, what comes to mind for you in terms of like the patterns of life that you think are things that you want to pay more attention to uh, in the coming year?
0: I would love to get a better ability to discern when it's a season of going in and when it's Mm. a season of going out. And what I mean by that is going internally and really going, there's certain seasons to me where it feels like it's time to really go internally, do some personal work, do some self-discovery, do some healing. And then that sets the stage and the ability to then go out into the world and uh, go interact in the world. And I've, I've, you know, studying kind of spiritual literature through many lineages, they talk about this kind of, uh, this balance of seasons So sometimes it's, it's time to go in and sometimes it's time to, you know, do your meditation and really, uh, you know, discover who you are on a deep level. And then it's actually time to go out in the world and bring all of that knowledge and wisdom out into the world. And the person that only goes out into the world and never does any internal work and never goes within uh, doesn't actually develop the kind of maturity and the kind of uh, wisdom and knowledge to really create real change. The person that only goes within and never goes out into the world is the person that just goes and lives in a cave and meditates all the time and never really actually has uh, a super profound uh, effect on society and uh-huh. on systems and structures uh, so, so kind of developing a balance between those two is something that I'm aware of and something that I'm kind of excited to uh, figure out what that looks for like for me in my life.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that, uh, that in and out thing, just, I can't help but think of a breath, right. Mm-hmm. And what you're getting at to me feels like a very embodied kind of practice and awareness. And I do think this is something that's paying attention to seasons really helps with, um, I think that the clock in artificial time as we measure it has really perpetuated disembodiment uh-huh. um, and we end up falling out of sync with our own bodies because for example, instead of paying attention to the natural cycle for which my body wants to go to sleep and wake up in alignment with you know, electromagnetic forces in the world and sunlight and other things, I am now uh, essentially having to oppress that part of my physicalness, mm-hmm. uh, the physiological desires of my being and ascribe to an artificial schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how much could we get back in touch with our physical selves and, and re-embody and re reinhabit our bodies in a more meaningful way? if we're more in tune with the in and out, right? The the breath and the, the physical world around us and our relationship to it and how we're emulating and mirroring the natural cycles and seasons of the earth.
0: I love that so much. And like the breath, like we breathe without thinking about it. Like it's just natural. And I think that that knowing of when it's time to go in and when it's time to go out is actually comes from our natural knowing, our intuition. There's like a natural intelligence we have that just knows when it's time to go in and when it's time to go out. And it's our job to connect with that natural intelligence, just like the breath is an expression of that natural intelligence.
1: You guys are both so profound. I'm going to take this to a very strange analogy. That's what I'm best at. So I'm thinking of learning how to drive a stick shift car. Okay. And um, when you first learn to drive a stick shift, it is a very non-intuitive, non-natural motion that your feet have to figure out happens in order for the car to actually engage and move forward as opposed to lurch and jump and die. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like clock time is what we're born into and feels much more like an automatic transmission where you could pretty much put a fairly young person, probably, I don't know, 13, 14 year old behind a wheel on a safe, you know, country road or something, they could figure out how to drive down the road and probably not cause themselves or anyone else too much harm. That's kind of like the system we're born into with clock time. We're kind of like given this thing here, school starts at this time. That means you have to get to the bus or get in the car or walk at this time, which means you have to have breakfast before that. And like, then everything kind of is chicken and egg and stacks upon itself, but it's this all externally imposed structure that everyone has been indoctrinated into and has been a part of who's around you most likely. So as you talk about learning, when is a season to go in and a season to go out? I'm like, I learned how to drive the stick shift instead of just the automatic transmission. When we all went under quarantine for COVID Mm. for the first time in my I don't know how old I was at the time, almost 40 years of life. I did not have any sort of externally imposed schedule. And for me personally, it took kind of like your friend. I think this is awesome that they're going on a hibernation retreat because I didn't know such a thing kind of existed. But that's the same way that you can kind of recreate this version of what I got during early quarantine, which was there was no alarm in the morning. I got to learn when my, how much sleep is naturally the right amount of sleep for my body and how that changes day in and day out, depending on what I do. I learned how much movement, how much exercise was the right amount for me, how much creation time versus how much like, I'll say consumption, but it's like healthy, you know, reading things that um, filled me up versus I, I don't want to be filled up or put out. Now I want to do a puzzle. I want to listen to music. I want to dance around my living room. I want to, I want to make a good meal. And so it was really interesting. And I remember at the time having this recognition that like, oh my gosh, I am going, I'm like in a personal retreat right now, learning what my own natural rhythm is for the first time in four decades of life. And so I'm curious how we can invite the people who are listening in and following along in this conversation. What are some ways? outside of, I mean, maybe it's sabbatical, maybe it's quitting a job, maybe it's going on a hibernation retreat, but what are some other ways that we can invite ourselves to even step outside of clock time, maybe half a day reserving a whole, you know, Friday afternoon and evening and just watching. And, you know, the thing that's tricky about it is there is a detox period first, Mm-hmm. Like there's a time of unwinding and realizing the condition shoulds and the things like your body doesn't immediately your body's always speaking to you and also it doesn't immediately know it has full permission to speak and be heard mm. yeah. because we're so used to overriding all of it.
2: I mean, so two things: one, to go back a little bit to your analogy, learning how to drive an automate, you know, an automatic. Transmission car versus a stick shift car. What's really interesting to me about that is that driving an automatic car is less complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, Like from our physical sense, right? As a human, it's more, but and it's more complicated. You have to do more. You have to coordinate more of your activity as a human to drive a stick shift. But it's actually the opposite for the vehicle the automatic mm-hmm. vehicle is way more complicated. Uh, and so it's as if there's like a phase shift between where the complication lies or where the complexity the center of gravity for the complexity is. And I think it's a really great analogy for our technological world that the complexity hasn't gone away but mm-hmm. what we we what we do with technology is we just re, we recenter or relocate the complexity. And I wonder if in, if people are listening to this and thinking, man, it's a lot harder to like go off a clock. Like mm-hmm. it feels like I have to coordinate more mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, you probably will have to coordinate because you're pushing the clutch in and doing the stick at the same time, right? There's more that you actually have to do, but the world itself, the world of pain, atten- it's actually less complex. Mm-hmm right? Just like the vehicle of a stick shift that has a stick shift is less complex. Uh, And so where the complexity is centered, I think is a very interesting question. And I think that's what has to be overcome. When we recenter complexity in the ways that we coordinate our lives, that is something that we have to upskill for, right? You can learn to drive a car, But as soon as you introduce a stick shift, even as an adult who's been driving for 20 plus years, you have to upskill, right? There's a new level of things that you have to know how to do so that that complexity doesn't feel overwhelming. And I think that's the same for this shift as you kind of take a step back and you evaluate your seasons of life and you evaluate your relationship to time and you evaluate where complexity is centered and all that. And you say, I'm going to make a change and I'm going to pay attention to my body. And I'm going to like, for example, I don't have clocks in my house. I don't want clocks in my house because I don't really want like if I'm home, I've got clocks in my office and I've got clocks in the car and from, you know, like I got clocks in places, (laughs) but in my house, I don't have any except for the, you know, the oven, right? Might have a little digital thing on it because if I'm sitting there in the evening, I don't want to know. I don't want to be on a schedule. And we do this with our kids too. Our kids don't have bedtimes. Mm -hmm. Our kids go to bed when they feel tired. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're in a very privileged position to be able to do that because we homeschool, right? So we don't have to get them up at six in the morning to run them to daycare or to school or something else. I know many, many people that, you know, they aren't in a position to be able to do that, but our kids go to bed when they're tired and they get up when they're ready to get up. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're very in tune with themselves. And what's really interesting is they're very different you know, uh, uh, tempos and then, um, what's the, I'm, I'm blanking on the, like, the
1: start
2: to by them or, yeah, the very different internal clocks. My, my son yeah. gets tired at eight o'clock and he's like ready to go to bed and he'll say, I'm ready to go to bed. <laughs> like, let's do it. And he's nine years old, right? And he starts getting ready and he gets up at seven o'clock every day on the, you know, uh, on the dot. And, uh, where my daughter's like, ah, uh, 9 o'clock tonight, maybe 10 o'clock, maybe, maybe 11, maybe midnight, just depends on where her brain is at, what she's thinking about. And so I think that, you know, there's more complexity in that because there's more to manage to some degree as parents. But it it's also less complex in that uh, we're not looking for externalized tools and references to tell us what to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, in t- it's an embodied experience. Um, and so I think to get back to that that question that you were asking, Tina is like, when is there space in your life that you can declock? <laughs> can you take that clock out of your living room? Can you give start imparting autonomy and agency to your children to determine when they go to bed? Can you yourself um, turn the TV off, get put the phone away? And just enjoy your evening. And like when you start to feel tired, go to bed. Not because it's a certain time, but because your body says so. Um, I think these are like the simple things that people could begin to do to begin exploring their relationship to time. But then I think if you zoom out and really look at seasons, I do think uh, being intentional about, Uh, the labeling of endings and beginnings Mm -hmm. is really important and I think that again we've lost sight of this in civilization modern western civilization at least we do things like new years and we shoot fireworks and things of that sort but what can we do is there is there a new tradition that you can adopt as a family like you know you're gonna light this fire and and have a you know a a liberation emancipation ceremony right uh from uh things you've been tied down by um what are those kinds of things that you know people can do and uh to to mark these these transitions and um to embody that ritualistically and i do think the physical act is really important because it connects us to our body which is um a thinking organism that's part of a greater whole right? um so those are my thoughts
0: i love that so much and i i i'm actually really inspired because i as you were talking i was like reflecting on like wait i check my phone a lot in the evening and like i'm really paying attention to time i'm like you know okay we just we got done with dinner at eight and now i got like three or four hours before I'm going to bed and now it's 10 30 I'm like noticing like oh wait that's like really I was unconsciously just kind of really paying attention to the time and having like kind of evening structured by time and and just the way that uh you were talking Joel and the way that you're you guys are parenting is just so inspiring i just throwing all that away and just really go with the flow I that's yeah,
1: fascinating to me because I didn't know that about you
0: yeah <laughs> All all and of it's
1: coming checking the clock and I didn't
0: know all That's of it's coming happened. out of wrong time. Exposing <laughs> all the secrets, exposing all the secrets.
1: Oh, it's funny because when you said declocking, I actually I picked up my phone and I googled it because I was like, this is genius. Is there a movement already?
2: Well, there is a there so in this article that we'll link to, um there has been some protest, protesting of clocks in uh you know, Joe starts his article telling the story of this French guy named Marshall Bourdin, who in 1984 um, walked up to the Royal Observatory in London and essentially um, tried to blow it up. And it was a, mm. uh, it was a, a essentially a you know a, a um, what we might call today like a you know a domestic terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh um protest time you know modern time which is another another theme that he unpacks in his article is how time has been used as an oppressive force um Mm -hmm. uh through institutions of power to coordinate activity towards their own ends right right um so i i think there is some interesting um uh, examples of, you know, throughout history and specifically more recent history of people protesting time. But yeah, let's start the declocking movement. I love that.
1: This is really exciting to me.
2: Yeah. I, I
1: Hashtag declocking.
0: Yeah. Hashtag declocking. Everyone throw your phones in the ocean, break your clock. No. <laughs> kidding, 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 kidding.
1: Well, it's so, I mean, obviously it is um, like, we would be remiss to not say like, we're looking at all this from a very transrational perspective. We appreciate right, the fact right. that we can, I was at a dentist appointment before today's conversation that I can quickly send Joel and trace a message. Hey, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. Let's meet at this time instead.
2: Yeah. Like
1: the practicality, but this goes back to all of the things that hold us hostage that we have on some level willingly participated in but on another much deeper level had no idea we were really participating in or not
2: right
1: but things like this are more insidious Mm -hmm. and they are used to control people they're used to control labor there there are such strong cultural things around getting up earlier is like fill in the blank more responsible the people are going to get more things done these are the the real go-getters and all this yeah. stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the, the cult of productivity, right? It's very much a time-based cult. I mean, time is one of the uh, primary dogmatic axioms of the cult of productivity. Right. Oh, wow. And we just measure it through time predominantly. And maybe, maybe there's a, uh, you know, a future of, of work that includes the declocking movement. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things that I talk a lot about with my clients in, um, you know, as a a foresight and insight um, professional working with clients around the world, talking about the future of work is that we say the future of work is living more Uh. Um, because a lot of things are pointing to that. Right. And when you think about a world of work in which you live more, you do tend to make the connotation of that uh, connected to, non-productive activities but what we call those things are we call them productive inefficiencies mm. right that it's not something that you can measure in time but what we're doing is we're tethering productivity to value not time and mm. so it's not an efficient thing it's not like you can optimize the time being spent on that activity mm-hmm. so it's inefficient but it's highly productive because the value gained from that activity uh is you know um Uh, Outperforms any sort of time metric that you could ever ascribe to it. And so I think that there's a future of work where organizations, just like we've begun to flatten management systems, we're also recentering human uh, patterns of living as the predominant framework for how and where work gets done, right? Um, And that we're not measuring the metric of time is no longer part of the equation when it comes to value, but it's really about, um, you know, coming together, uh, community, creativity, um, you know, uh, invention, innovation. These are the things that become much more possible when we're not just focused on time. And this the research shows too that the, the predominant we spend the majority of our time not being productive at work. We're just putting in the hours, quote unquote, right? Great.
0: Like
1: time.
2: So yeah, it's it's uh
1: or now jiggle your best. mouse on instant messenger or whatever your whatever your <laughs> application's being used right. to show yeah. that you're quote unquote uh, uh, active. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean this is the big issue with with being in the office. People are, you know, you've got all these senior executive folks saying, well, how do we measure productivity if people aren't in the office? And it's like, well, how were you measuring productivity before the pandemic? And most of them weren't.
1: Right. (laughs)
2: They, 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 because, because people were just required to be there so that the pressure to measure wasn't there because they could just, you know, the workplace is just a modern panopticon uh, where managers can observe and as a way of enforcing, you know, conformity to policy but had nothing to do with actual performance. Uh, And so there's, I think there's a revolution happening there in that space. Um, The last thing I'll bring up and then we should, we could wrap is.
1: Because we have to watch time.
2: We have to watch the time. Um, I have a a new season that I'm moving into in about five minutes. So. um,
1: (laughs) It just so happens we time perfectly at three (laughs) o'clock.
2: Totally. It just happens to align no the sun's going down there's two fingers uh from the sun to the horizon so i've that's i've got two fingers left i think time times and 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 so here's the last thing i'll say is that the time presumes an artificial perfection Uh right there's 60 hard seconds in an hour and there's 24 hard hours in a day and there's 365 hard days in a year when actually that's not true at all if you look at the the you know the way that we the earth kind of orbits the sun uh, we have to account for that right every four years there's a leap day there's there's all sorts of ways that we're constantly having to recalibrate our clocks to accommodate for the imperfection of nature and of of reality itself. And so I love this idea of of the connection that declocking and seasonal thinking and living has to the acceptance and embracing of imperfection. I think Mm -hmm. that that's a really... That's that's such a
1: mic drop. I, I have to add this because I just feel like it's practical and profound simultaneously, which is I'm sure other people it's not just me do this. You look at a calendar on your phone or mm-hmm. on your desktop. It's linear. It's boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Someone says, can you meet at three o'clock? And you're like, yes, I can. That takes into no account whatsoever. What else has happened that day? What emotional state you're in? What the weather's going to be like, how your kids are feeling, how the other people right. involved are right. feeling. Right. Right. And right. all of a sudden it becomes the dogmatic God Yep. Of how you move through life, and it started with literally a black and white app with lines on it, and you said yes or no to the thing, and then you contort your entire life around it. Right. Clocking begins today.
0: There we go.
2: <laughs> All right. Here's to declocking. Traced any last comments before we wrap it?
0: No, I don't know if I can, talk but you, you, you two, that was that was incredible.
2: <laughs> Sending tons
0: of love to everyone listening.